Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. It's time for High Contrast, the show where we talk everything low vision, where we try and give the people that are sort of stuck between sight lines, whether you're perfect vision, no vision, sort of in between. Uh, Today... I, Rodney Edgar of Tech Access Weekly, am joined to my left by Mari Hill of AI Squared. Hi, Rodney. How you doing? Uh, doing good. good. Uh, you do the wonderful Zoomed In blog over at AISquared.com slash blog. Yes. And to my right is Jeremy Curry of GW Micro. Hey, Rodney. How is it going today? It's going well. Uh, We also have lurking in the background via satellite, uh, Ranger Joe Steinkamp of SPN. Uh, He will be joining in here and there as we go. So let's get started by saying that this episode is going to kind of go with the convention, 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 because we're right here in July, early August, and there's a lot of developments in June. So back in early June was WWDC from Apple, and they released something that everyone has been sort of clamoring about and talking all over the place, which is the 15-inch MacBook Pro with Retina. Uh, The Retina display is a 2880 by 1800 resolution, uh, which for some reason you can't really set to it. Uh, Do we have any opinions on how this might be for the visually impaired community, especially since the 17-inch is gone. Well, I was kind of sad to see the 17-incher go. Uh, I know that's what I use on my PC, so it's kind of frustrating it's not even going to be an option with Apple. But uh, with the resolution, it's definitely going to be different. So with the understanding that it, it can't really be changed, at least that's the way I understand it. Is that how you've read it, Rodney? Uh, I'm kind of finding that it's supposedly more like the iPad or an iOS device where text and things are going to be much crisper in particular areas, but you technically can't set the native resolution to full 2880, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I think that magnification with that could be difficult. It'll be interesting to see how good it really looks. Um, Of course, I'm kind of still of the opinion after I've seen the iPad 3, I mean the new iPad, that, um, I don't know, I just don't see much of a difference. But I guess with all of us low vision users, everybody's different. So I don't know. I think the biggest problem with the new MacBook is the fact that it is thinner. It doesn't allow for an Ethernet port, doesn't have a CD. I think everybody's going to be sitting here going, uh, I need a dongle, please. May I have a dongle? Uh, that just seems like a little bit crazy that you would get rid of uh, the Ethernet port. Now, if you're happy with the iPad, which is how big of a screen is that? Well, it's 9.7. That's what it is. Okay. So if you're happy with the iPad and the zoom on the new iPad with the Retina crisp text, um, wouldn't you be even happier with a MacBook with the 15-inch screen? I've never used a Mac so I don't know. I've used an iPad, but not the Mac OS. I don't know. That seems like it would make sense that with the higher resolution, the better screen, the better text, it would be about the same as using an iPad, just a little bit larger. Jeremy, do you use a 
Mac? Well, I've used one for about a month when I tried one out and um, just full disclosure, it, it just wasn't my thing. I'd prefer the PC, so I don't use a Mac. So I guess I don't have any knowledge there. I don't know. Does this new MacBook have, it doesn't have a touchscreen, does it? I don't it? think so. Uh, not yet. Okay. So yeah, it's definitely something I have to physically try to know whether it would be useful to me. Yeah, and it does start at twenty one ninety nine, which is kind of a high price for a notebook computer. With it being, I guess we could call it a disposable laptop, because everything's glued in. You can't make modifications. You can't uh, repair things. So I guess you would have to buy the what is it two hundred three hundred dollar Apple Care package. Uh, how does that bother you as far as maybe creating disposable laptops? Yeah, that's pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah. If the price were inexpensive, like three or $400, like a PC, it would be okay. But Apple's always been known for, I guess, high pricing. So at least in regards to their MacBooks and some things, obviously iPhones that are free aren't high price, but I can't imagine dropping $2,000 on something and then having to throw it away six or 12 months later, or if it's out of warranty, 13 months later. So that is a little bit bothersome. And I bet um, with the Zoom on on this MacBook, it probably doesn't track as you type, or does it? Do you know? I do not. I am Macless. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom has the ability to work with voiceover. It's in the uh, universal access area. So you can actually have Zoom uh, do things that we're used to, like invert colors. Uh, we can actually do things with uh, following system focus. Uh, it has its own hotkeys as well. So you have voiceover command keys. And you also have Zoom command keys, and those are easily found, again, in universal access. So the concept here is that with Apple, you have all that built in, and it is different than what we're used to with ZoomText Magic and Supernova. I, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, better versus not so better. It's, again, it, it's a built-in program, so it can do things a little differently than everybody else. Uh, both can run at same time, uh, so you can run simultaneously. You can turn Zoom on and off. Again, from the upper uh, bar of Mac, if you're at your defaults. So the other thing that I jokingly said before we got started is Apple hates low vision people because they killed the 17-inch MacBook, which does affect some of us on if we want to purchase a new computer or not. Because of this new design, and Apple states that the 17 inches were not selling, they've retired off the 17-inch MacBook from these new Retina displays, um, making 15.4 viewable inches the largest that you can get and for some people as we discussed in high contrast too larger screens work better for them there are some people who even have desktop replacement you know 19 inch laptop displays of course they have a u-haul to carry it around <laughs> in but they do exist and there are people who do work on 19 inch laptops for let's say just regular vision People do that in order to have multiple windows open at one time if they're used to a dual monitor setup. I understand it's a niche, and it's a shame to see that that Apple's getting away from this because I don't know about you guys, but I was not big into the netbook craze. And as cool as the MacBook Air is, I just never will see myself using an 11-inch screen for, for any reason, mainly because we get back to the chiclet versus tic-tac keyboard uh, that we have in Android phones. But, you know, like you were saying about the iPad, 
I find that the retina display on the new iPad is brighter and has better color. I don't know that it, with my vision, makes any big difference sharpness or clarity-wise, uh, but I do recognize the color contrast is a lot better, and the doubling of pixels sort of works. But the big deal about WWDC was really allowing people to do high-definition video and have that text over on the side. So if you're an editor, the new MacBook with Retina makes a lot of sense because you can look at full-screen 1080p video and still be able to see all your sliders and Adobe Premiere or something like that off to the side. Or uh, if you're into Photoshop or doing other types of Adobe products, visually this thing is for those who are really getting into high-end Adobe-like products to be able to manipulate video and still see a true image without having to pop in elements from the program as an overlay. Now they can just kind of sort of have that off on the side. And the price reflects that. I mean, what I think is really cool about WWDC was Apple made the faithful want to buy that next laptop. You know, like Rodney was saying, at 2200 bucks, you got to really want that. And for those who really want that new Apple, they're giving them what they want. For those who want to have the name Apple, but still have a pretty good computer, uh, there's still the lower-end MacBook line, and, of course, the MacBook Air. So if there was something for everybody, and if you're going to become a company worth billions of dollars and have stores everywhere and tout that you're unique and you're buying things that are unique, like the other 66 million people who bought the same thing you bought, I think it's good that they get back to a boutique mentality, and I, I think that's what they did at WWDC. And with WWDC is also the release of iOS 6, which is going to come out in the fall as constant reports keep coming out. iPhone 6 is coming in the fall. Well, no duh. But iOS 6 is out for developers and such. Uh, Did we hear anything there that was really going to make the visually impaired community excited about the new version? Well, finally, after forever and a day in version 6, we're going to see voiceover and Zoom supposedly work together. Yay! Uh, That hasn't ever happened because you always had to use either just voiceover or just Zoom. And so for those of us who are caught here in the middle, this is hopefully going to be awesome. I've not seen it, obviously, because it's not public, but uh, I'm very hopeful. And two, I guess uh, the other big news as well is that Siri is going to come to the iPad third generation. So that should be a big uh, plus for people that are not looking to type on a Bluetooth keyboard or the touchscreen. Yeah, I think that'll definitely be a a big help. I know there's been some disappointment with Siri, but there's also um, some indication that... um, they will be uh, making some changes and making it better as well. So hopefully that will come about too. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that, to be able to open an app using Siri. I have like five pages of apps, and my daughter knows how to move them around now. So (laughs) I can never find what I'm looking for. So that will help (laughs) me. And, And back to the Zoom and voiceover working at the same time, For me, I don't necessarily use them at the same time, but the pain for me is switching from one to the other. That's annoying. So if I can just have the zoom on kind of in the background at 1x with the voiceover on, I think that'll speed things up for me. 
Yeah, I have a problem with switching to my home button barely works. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm eagerly awaiting the uh, next version to come out. Now, a lot of people are giving Apple flack because they are copying some from the Google Android uh, by being able to launch apps and things. Uh, At the Google I.O., one of the big things was the Google Nexus 7 tablet that is going to be running Jelly Bean, which is going to have enhanced voiceover, I guess. It's going to have speech and Zoom capabilities. Uh, Joe, you're more of the Android user. What is up with all of the Jelly Bean talk? I am first jealous of our hosts, uh, JJ Meta and uh, Access Anna, who Steve Nutt also is very much jealous that they were at Google I.O., they got their hands not only on the Nexus tablet and the Q, but they got them to take home along with one of the uh, Nexus phones and uh, a Chromebook. So they like not only got a scoop for SBN by being there at Google I.O., they also got a lot of stuff. <laughs> so um, JJ's been uh, tweeting a little bit about Jelly Bean and the improved accessibility that's within it so it's changed a little bit since uh, ice cream sandwich or uh, android 4.0 the big issue here is that you have definable gestures and you also have some other things that you can do to customize the way that talkback interacts with the screen a little better that make things easier for those who might be a little familiar with ios including braille back so now we have talk back, we have kick back, we have sound back, and now we have braille back. Um, don't make any jokes about mountains. Anyway, um, <laughs> braille back will uh, allow us to have built-in uh, support with uh, braille devices inside Jelly Bean. So those who rely on braille will be really thrilled about that. Magnification and speech have always been working in Android for a couple of years now, going back to, for some phones, back to 2.2, but really 2.3. And so there's been that support there for a while that it too has improved. I'm not a big magnification on phone kind of thing. I'd rather speech read it to me because by the time I magnify it and sniff my phone getting close enough to read it, I might as well just hear it. But I can understand how some people like to have inverted colors or be able to do things with magnification that we're used to with other screen magnification programs. The other super cool thing about uh, the new Android 4.1, I got to get used to saying that part. Uh, is USB audio support. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but a lot of those Sonos doxes and you know big boom boxy things that we're used to seeing with Apple, uh, those haven't been really easy to do with Google, and now that's actually coming in Jelly Bean. So for those who use external speech, uh, that might actually be really great to be able to export that out on USB audio. And uh, the other neat uh, idea is that it's going to come out on a lot of phones a lot faster than ice cream sandwich did uh google is really really trying their best to try and get uh the latest version of their operating system out to more phones as quick as possible there are a lot of underlying things that prevent that namely the carriers and the handset makers who want to keep selling you handsets so it's not in their best interest to keep giving you free updates we talk a lot about that on that android show and you can find out a lot more about our google coverage by going over to www.thatandroidshow.com and you'll be able to hear our Google I.O. ideas and um, get jealous of all that new hardware that Anna (laughs) and JJ have. 
And Joe, I, I heard a lot about uh, Google Play and how it's supposed to be integrated and, and basically bring more content to the devices and Jelly Bean. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah. If you are already in an ecosystem, I mean, if you have a bunch of stuff in iTunes, chances are you're not going to jump out of iTunes. What Google is trying to do is what Amazon has already done with uh, Prime Video with Prime Audio and and all the other stuff like that. You know, it's making you sticky to the platform. It's making you spend money as a consumption device. So when it's time for you to say, you know, do I really want to jump to the other guy? You probably won't because you already have a bunch of time and resources invested in that platform. So somebody who's already got, you know, maybe a grand worth of video and audio in iTunes might not ever want to leave iTunes. Because it's going to be very difficult for them to let go of all the stuff that they've already purchased. Google's doing the same thing with Play. There's a lot of integration between audio and video. Like the new Nexus Q that looks like the training droid from Star Wars. The <laughs> device is uh, got an amp in it to hook up external speakers and HDMI. And it works with your Android Jelly Bean enabled phone to be able to play music right from your phone. So if you... Don't want to turn on your TV or anything like that. Kind of like AirPlay, you can you know use your phone to launch your collection, and that's a niche product, especially at three hundred dollars. It's a niche product. I tend not to buy my entertainment from these places. I tend to still buy Blu-ray and DVD and choose to do what I want with my media because I never know the device I want to watch it on, and it's another reason why I kind of like Android is because I can rip and then put it on an SD card or USB it over and and kind of move my media where I want to when I want to without having restrictions and stuff like that. Um, and that's the great thing about buying some of these devices. But I, I don't see myself personally, and there may be other people who love Google Play or Google Music, excuse me, Play Music, Play Books, yeah, that makes sense, um, or any of the other Play options uh, that feel very comfortable doing this. What we didn't hear was anything about Google TV. And I don't know if anybody... Here, ever use the old Google TV or not, but for some people, they liked surfing the web on Google TV because it was the old web TV. Remember in the 90s with Microsoft Mm -hmm. and web TV? And some people actually, that was their preferred way of looking at the internet because they could put it on their big 80-inch television and start reading (laughs) up there. Uh, And you can tell I did a couple of web TV demos when I used to work at Incredible Universe. And the same could be said with Google TV, that you could put that up there on a big screen and do your web searches and stuff like that and still watch television in the background. Certainly, they're not the only set-top box to do that, and there are other things like Roku, and of course, Internet Explorer is coming to Microsoft, Xbox 360. So there are other ways of doing this, but the Google TV was something that wasn't really talked about at Google I.O., and that was kind of like, okay, really? Because it's actually coming built into some TVs. Samsung, Sony, uh, I believe LG all have Google TV uh, coming within their TVs over the next year. So for that, I'm kind of curious about because that would affect us as low vision users. Maybe they were focusing more on the fact that they were going to create their own tablet. Maybe that was the big thing with the Nexus 7. That or skydiving out of Zeppelins. Uh, Yes. So uh, did the Saratalk folks uh, purchase their uh, Google Glasses? Our Google Glass, our 1500 as a developer? Uh, No, we'll let Peter Mayer uh, and others play with that a little more. I will say... Google Glass, in case you guys don't listen to our other podcasts who are listening to this podcast, Google Glass is a headset 
that uh, you wear on your head that has a camera, Bluetooth, the ability to talk to Android devices, and does things like what Google Goggles does in that it can recognize text or images as you're walking past them. So it's very much in the non-passive mode of recognizing where you are. With Google Now, which was announced for Jelly Bean, Google Now actually kind of looks at your pattern. So if you walk back and forth to work, um, Google Now can say, hey, you're approaching your bus stop. The number 15 bus is late today by about five minutes because there's a traffic jam downtown. It knows where you want to be. It knows about your appointments. You can tie that into Google Calendar to give you a warning that if you don't leave now, you might get caught in traffic if you don't go for your appointment. There's, I, I don't want to get into the privacy implications here, but I like the idea of mobility, right? If I'm walking my same route, there may be a sale at a bookstore. There may be a sale at Starbucks that I wasn't even aware of, or I might not even have known visually that the Starbucks was around the corner. Google Glass through the headset uh, will be able to notify me that there's something going on at that particular place. And if you have enough vision, you might be able to see the heads-up display. So if you go to a shopping mall and go, you know, where's the Apple store? It could actually do an overlay of the shopping mall and then give you directions to the Apple store, which, you know, for a mobility situation, that's awesome. I've also talked about the idea of you might be familiar with WebVism or what some people are doing with FaceTime, where if you come across a CAPTCHA or you can't see something, uh, a lot of totally blind individuals use the front-facing camera or the rear-facing camera on their phones to get sighted assistance. Imagine being at an airport. Imagine looking for an office building and wearing the Google Glass and being able to call into somebody visual who could say, could you turn your head a little bit? Okay, you're on First Street, and I got an idea, you know, blah, 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 and give you some directions to where you want to go. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I've wanted to use that with uh, FaceTime on the iPhone uh, when the wife is trying to find something and I'm at work or something. I want to just say, turn on FaceTime, and I'll tell you where it's at. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think the privacy implications of Google Glass is going to be the tough sell. Uh, it seems to me that it would be the ultimate in stalking device. Well, you know, for those of us who can't see facial recognition as well, I know when I you know, lost my vision, I looked more at body shape or body type than looking at faces for recognition. I kind of don't mind the idea of wearing a device that allows me to, you know, pan over and look at somebody and recognize from my Facebook contacts that we're already friends and, you know, hey, look, Jeremy's here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. I do know that people, like I said, have talked about do not track for, you know, recognition for that very reason. Certainly people that are younger than us don't have the hang-ups on privacy that those of us uh, who grew up uh, post-Watergate might. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I get that. Um, but I also understand that if I'm on a street, I'm in a public place. And so there are matters of privacy that, that I think you're right are going to have to be worked out. Is it like an ID scanner constantly? Is it like a barcode scanner constantly? Yeah, I, I get that there is you know some dangers in the technology minority report Um, But at the same time, I'm looking at it from the mobility perspective of working with a lot of individuals who've had problems and and devices like this, even if it gives them the idea to know that they are on a street corner and that that is the number five bus that rolled up because the buses don't speak or the numbers are written in gray on a gray background. 
You know, if I can have a device that tells me that's a number five bus so I don't have to lean to the next guy and, you know, who may have been all, up all night partying. <clears throat> yeah, that's the number five bus. <laughs> you know, oh, I bet 55. You know, anything that saves me from having to get off and take the crosstown back, I'm all over. So I, I want to think of the positives here because I think this will be a great mobility aid. Of course, it won't be coming until 2014, so we've got a while, but I, I think it's really interesting from the mobility standpoint that this could bring a lot to us. So, so it's going to be just in time so that I can get out of my Google autonomous car and then put on my Google glasses and get out and walk around. <laughs> Dude, it can tell you where your car is parked. That's right. <laughs> Maybe you can then bring my car to me so I don't even have to walk to it. <laughs> oh, I even like that even better. <laughs> so I guess the key to Google glass is do good, not evil. Oh, oh, oh. But now that we have talked about mainstream uh, conferences, conventions, keynotes, and that kind of thing, our very own wonderful Mari headed over <laughs> to Minneapolis to visit the Visions 2012 that is put on by the Foundation Fighting Blindness. And she has a wonderful tidbit of info from that particular conference. Yeah, Rodney. I've been going to the Foundation Fighting Blindness Visions Conference, I believe, four times. And every year, it just gets better and better. I've not been to a lot of different types of conferences. I've been to ATIA. I've been to CSUN. I've never been to ACB or NFB. But this Visions Conference is always my favorite because... The focus is not on the accessibility technology. The focus is on people who need that technology. And they kind of concentrate on a couple different areas. One is the research currently being done on retinal degenerative diseases and different treatments for them. And networking, just mingling with others with your exact same vision impairment. They even have mingling sessions based on age groups, like they have a baby boomers one. And coping skills, just coping with your vision impairment topics. And it's always really inspiring. They always get the most amazing speakers at these conferences. This year, one of the most inspiring speeches I ever have listened to was by Eric Wyan Mayer, something like that. He is the only blind person who has ever climbed Mount Everest. And um, he's also climbed, I believe, seven of the highest peaks in the world and been in one of those adventure television shows. And he's just a really neat guy and, and was really interesting to listen to. But the main focus is back to the research on retinal degenerative diseases, such as my Stargardt disease, rod cone dystrophy, RP, Best disease, Usher syndrome, macular degeneration, those vision impairments that degenerate over time. And when I first started going to these conferences, the researchers were cautiously optimistic and talked about different trials going on using mice and rats and all these other things, and then eventually dogs. And, and this year, the big talk was 
about so many different human trials going on. Just very exciting. There's uh, gene therapy going on with RP and LCA and drug therapy, exciting therapy going on for RP where a 10-year-old girl increased her field of vision from 30 degrees to 170 degrees by just taking a pill, which is pretty incredible for a certain amount of time. And then lastly, stem cell therapy, which there are a couple human trials going on for that in Stargardt disease and age-related macular degeneration. So it's pretty exciting stuff, and, and it's nice to listen to these researchers and their excitement over the progress that has been made in the past five years, 10 years, 15 years, but it just keeps on getting faster and faster, the progress. And it's just really exciting stuff. And the exhibit hall, where AI Squared displayed Zoom text, is different than in other conferences because... The people who attend this conference, they're not necessarily in tune to all the technology that's out there, and it's not the main focus of the conference. So when they walk by the booth and you tell them about Zoom text and show them a video magnifier and and Zoom reader and Zoom contacts, they're just so excited. It's like they've never seen anything like this before. So that makes it a lot more fun than some of the other conferences that I've been to. So is it more older generation that end up going to that conference, or is it just a it's, wide range? No, it's the whole range, uh, every age group, okay. kids, the whole range. And what's cool about it, too, is there's a lot of families that go, you know, someone comes with their visually impaired spouse or their child. And it's really cool to see the family dynamics there. Like I remember a husband and wife and, and the wife was looking at a video magnifier and thought it was nice, but expensive. And the the husband who's not visually impaired was like, yeah, but would it help you (laughs) forget about the price? Would it help you? <laughs> so it's kind of neat to see the, the family dynamics going on. And uh, parents who, you know, have kids with a visual impairment and uh, want to know about the technology as well as the new exciting research that's going on. So this is absolutely no question my favorite conference. And if anyone is inclined to go, I encourage you to go to next year's, which will be in Baltimore in 2013. And it's usually in the summer, the end of June, beginning of July. Okay. Sounds like it'd be a great uh, opportunity to get more information as far as different uh conditions definitely proves the point that uh, you're not alone out there with all this research going on. Absolutely. And I strongly encourage people who are interested in this topic, Dr. Steve Rose, who's like the chief research officer at Foundation Fighting Blindness, he does a great job called Eye on the Cure. And you can get to his blog, www.blindness.org slash blog. 
And he's a scientist, so he'll be able to better explain the different trials and therapies that are happening right now. So I strongly urge you to check out his website. Excellent. I may have to try and check that out since Baltimore is not that far from me next year. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, the last, last year's conference was in Baltimore, and that was a great location. It was right on the waterfront and out in my hotel room. I could see the harbor, and it was just a really excellent location. In fact, we went and saw an Orioles game. And that was a lot of fun. Camden Yards is beautiful. I love that place. And the water taxis and some really good seafood. Uh, anyway, hey, yeah, Baltimore is awesome. <laughs> yeah, they um, have the... No, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. They have... The ballpark actually has amazing yeah. crab cakes. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, Baltimore happens to be also where the headquarters of the National Federation of the Blind is. And oh. I was at the National Federation of the Blind Convention in Dallas. And, we'll call uh, that a segue. Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy, that's something you write on. There you go. Uh, Jeremy had to run, so I'm tagging in here. Jeremy also had to man the booth practically by himself with uh, himself and Sharon Hewing, a good friend of mine. So he didn't get to go around doing the cool stuff that Ricky Enger and I did for Sarah Talk, which was going around talking to vendors for SPN coverage. The show had a lot of uh, blindness-related uh, technology that you would, of course, expect to see at the National Federation of the Blind Convention. But there's some low vision stuff there, too. Uh, I saw Chris Park's new prototype, uh, Chris Park Designs, who's made some uh, devices like the I Love You. He has a seven inch display that is very reminiscent of the google nexus tablet and others very lightweight i got to play with it for a little bit it has distance viewing it has uh, some really good modes very bright and and again did i mention it was very light that <laughs> that's the exciting part is a lot of your midline cctvs that you might have seen say three or five years ago in the seven inch to ten inch category uh, still required a, a very large satchel to carry them and their battery cases and their chargers around. Uh, the devices have really come into their own lately, and they have better and longer battery lives, and they're lighter. And that's exciting because if you do require something larger than a 3-inch or a 4-inch screen, you don't have to read the Russian novel, but you want to do more than just read a small note then these devices actually work for you in the 7 to 10 inch category. That's what they call the midlines for longer reading sessions. And it's neat to see how these devices are getting better and improving. And there were some other things like uh, Freedom Scientific had a new Topaz video magnifier that connects with OpenBook. So you've got OCR going on with visual output. This falls in line with a couple of things that we saw at CSUN where we're seeing kind of a blending of things that... Uh, your video magnifier isn't just your video magnifier anymore. In the case of Low Vision International, you know, it's a touch screen. So you actually touch it and it starts talking. And other people have, have done very similar items. So convergence seems to be the key now that something isn't just made for low vision. It actually has more speech-friendly things added on to it. And I think that was really, really exciting. We also saw some other stuff from LookTel, the Breadcrumbs app. We were talking about Google Glass earlier. Uh, now with your iOS device, you can actually do some of that kind of breadcrumbing around to be able to know where you're going or know that you're coming back to a point, a waypoint that you've set for yourself. Digitize 
has some new scanning apps and they actually talk about stuff for the uh, Android phone and, and things like that. So we have a lot of convention coverage up at Talk, and chances are if you're listening to this show, you might be looking at our downloadable content from the summer conventions as well. Jamie Pauls was at Louisville and did the uh, informational gathering for us there as well. So we have some coverage from ACP. And we have a couple of specials uh, coming up as well. So keep your ears tuned to SBN. We have a lot more to come out from convention as we prepare for the convention season next year. At some point, I'm actually going to make it to one of these conventions. I might have to take corporate sponsorship <laughs> first. Columbus for ACB and Orlando for NFB. And, of course, San Diego for CSUN, if that's what you want to do. Well, I'm going to have to do one of those uh, sandwich boards and then get, like, corporate sponsorships on it so that I can (laughs) afford the flight down. Uh, Maybe put Braille on one side and writing on the other. That way I'm multifaceted. Oh, there you go. What are the sessions like um, at an NFB or AFB convention? Kind of all over the map or certain focus okay full disclosure i am now the vice president of the assistive technology trainers division uh so i I went from being a board member to being a vice president of that division meeting so i will openly denote that here in that uh, i've been with that part of the organization for six years Mm -hmm. and i love the at trainers division because you get a really great feeling for what people are having trouble with with the programs it's one thing to be someone who helps make software it's another thing to hear how people are then training with your software in real world environments with real users and i love having that kind of feedback so in a lot of situations convention is what you make it if you want to put in the time and go to the ham radio division which i think is really neat Uh, If you want to go find out more from the Guide Dog Users Group, I think that's really important because uh, there's a lot of great knowledge to be uh, gotten from these division meetings. And sometimes, to me, the division meetings is where the real action is. It's where there's a lot more conversation, a lot more social interaction, and there's a lot of nightlife and wild things to go on at conventions. So if you're looking for a social hookup, um, you know, there there are uh, lots of tweet-ups and other places. Uh, so you can meet a lot of people that you might have interacted with online or saw on a mailing list. That's kind of neat too. And Jeremy and I spoke at the computer science division. This is uh, my my multiple if time speaking at computer science for Curtis Chong. I've spoken both that in my previous role and of course here working for Serotech. This year we spoke about accessible event. Jeremy did a wonderful presentation on Windows 8. He also did it again at uh, the AT Trainers division um, Mm -hmm. where he talked about uh, some of the fun that will be in the Windows 8 release and did an amazing job. Fun, you know, technology. It's always fun learning about new technology. Jeremy might use another word with with Windows. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't want to put words in Jeremy's mouth. Um, Jeremy has been very good at explaining some of the situations that surround learning a new operating system. I used to actually do that presentation on new operating systems. I did the one for Windows XP. I did the one for Vista and the one for 7. So I was very happy that Jeremy took the torch away from me to do this operating system. (laughs) He didn't think so, but I thought it was great. Um, So you can get a lot out of convention If you really like looking for some of the information sides of it, or if you're looking for the social hookup, a lot of the mainstream 
general session stuff is available streaming. So you could, if you can't afford to go to convention, listen to the streams of the general sessions for both ACB and NFB and have a convention experience right there in your own home without actually necessarily having to leave. And certainly Twitter, uh, uh, there were some people like Daryl Shandro and others that were actually tweeting from some of the convention meetings or what they saw coming through the meeting streams from other Twitterers. So if you can't make it to these events, and with coverage like our own, you can actually get a lot out of going to convention without having to go to convention. Um, But I like going to convention, and I have for several years, because there's just something about the interaction and hearing several people who are having the same issues that you are and the wisdom of the crowd. Somebody might have already thought of how to fix that problem, or somebody else's life experience might say, well, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Have you ever thought about using X or Y? So I enjoy convention a lot because it is an opportunity to interact and meet with other people. It has gotten less and less about the technology that's involved. And because, you know, now with Twitter and the internet and Facebook, you can make a product announcement Anytime you want. It used to be that you made your project announcements at convention because that's where everybody was. Now it really has come more to being more about interaction and social interaction and working with people. Our Sarah Spectives episode, which kind of wrapped up CSUN back in March, our three guests actually said that that was the best part of CSUN. It wasn't the exhibit hall. It wasn't the presentations. It was just meeting people and interacting with them. And I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, and I I think it's important because a lot of these people don't know anyone else with a vision impairment. I agree that you don't need to go to the convention to get the information also. The Foundation Fighting Blindness usually has a DVD that they sell afterwards with all the sessions. And I listen to them over and over because there's a lot of scientific sessions like Gene Therapy 101, 201, Stem Cell Therapy 101, 201, and I just don't get it the first time. I have to listen to it several times. And just to listen to the speakers over again, it's just really cool. And you can get a lot from the brain trusts at your favorite company if you're a big humanware fan. The day before convention begins, humanware does this you know, four- to five-hour big presentation on all their different things that they've got going on. And you can hear directly from humanware and ask your questions. If you're a Kurzweil fan, the Kurzweil users group meeting is fantastic. Steve Baum really will tell you anything you ever really wanted to know about OCR and then some. Bookshare does wonderful parties to get people interested more in Bookshare or asking questions about what it takes to keep Bookshare up in the air and flying and they're very forward in in talking. Learning Ally always comes to talk about what's going on. Or you can just accidentally bump into the guys at Flexi, which we did uh, at NFB, and and talk to the developer and ask them questions about their app. And so sometimes having that direct FaceTime is really neat to be able to plug in and talk to the makers of the technology that you love or use. Yes, absolutely. So it sounds like conventions are a definite Wealth of information, whether it's uh, NFB, ACB, or Visions 2012 that we also heard about. So good info. Thanks a lot. Sure. Well, this seems like a very good place to stop and take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we will have a wonderful iOS review of King's Corner. So stay tuned. Look at all the cars. Lots of colored cars. Ah, there's a blue one. Isn't it pretty? 
Ooh, look how fast that red one's going. It's red like that stop sign. Like my jacket. This is a 38-year-old man. My jacket's not a car, is it? Is my jacket a car? My jacket is red, but it doesn't go fast. He may sound a little strange to you and me. But to his two-year-old son, who's interested in cars and colors, he makes perfect sense. That's the sound cars make. When you talk with your child, you build vocabulary. And learning starts long before school does. So follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like eating dinner or just watching cars go by, and turn them into learning moments. Ooh, look, Rekka! Yes! And it's moving awfully fast. Blue car! Yes! The man in the red car is about to meet the man in the blue car. Get himself a pretty pink ticket. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. For more tips, go to bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, it's Joe Steinkamp back to talk about another wonderful app that just is a little friendly to low vision users. This time around, I chose a game that is, well, not as crazy as some of the other ones that I've recommended on the other shows. Some people might, you know, look at the other games that I've recommended and it might not be their cup of tea. Well, Solitaire is one of those games that everybody seems to like to play and it's one of my personal favorites on the iPad. Well, this particular app is King's Corner, 99 cents currently in the app store at the time of this recording, is one of the apps that I just can't get enough of. I play this app all the time to kill time between cooking dinner or uh, waiting for someone to arrive. Uh, it's just the breakout app that I can sit down and play. Now, the idea is solitaire, and we all know pretty much how to play solitaire, where you have cards in descending order going from king on the way down to ace, and you place uh, red on black or black on red. And uh, the neat thing about this is that it's voiceover friendly. So even if you don't have any usable vision, you can still play King's Corner with voiceover on. And very rarely do I come across video game apps uh, that I play often that give me that ability. The voiceover compatibility is really good, and uh, you can set it up to uh, read cards a certain way. And there are some options, very simple to read options. But for low vision users, you can actually set the colors a little differently. So red and black are normal for your hearts and your clubs and the like. But you can actually set the uh, cards that are face cards, such as king and queen and jack, as gold-faced cards. So that way they stand a little bit more, especially if you move your cards around and want to keep them kind of uh, in little sections. Now, there are eight spots on the board. Uh, four spots are where you play your normal solitaire, but... In each corner is where you place a king, and that gives you another option to be able to place uh, your cards uh, and go in a descending order. So I like this style a lot, and even better yet, you have the ability to change the background to make the cards stand out a bit more. Again, another reason why I think this is a pretty good and friendly low vision app. There's an online multiplayer component to it. I will be honest, I really haven't tried that out or played with that to tell you how accessible it is. But what I normally do is play this thing in single-player mode, uh, play with the difficulty and ramp it up or ramp it down. There are three achievements, actually, uh, for the game in Game Center. The ability to beat the uh, game in three hands, two hands, or can you actually play all your cards at once and uh, beat the computer? I've done all of these achievements. They're fun to go after. may take you a little bit of practice, but they're lots of fun to be able to do. So King's Corner, Solitaire, for your iPhone or iPad, 99 cents. Lots of great things about it. Voiceover compatible and very friendly to those who have low vision issues. For the High Contrast Podcast, I am Joe Steinkamp and happy playing. 
This is going to conclude episode three of High Contrast here on the Cerro Talk Podcast Network, SPN for short. You can get a lot more information by visiting serotalk.com. You can drop us an email by sending a message to resources at serotalk.com. And you can also listen to this episode as well as other wonderful shows by checking out iBlink Radio for iOS and Android. And I would like to thank Mari Hill of AI Squared for joining us on this episode. Oh, sure. No problem, Rodney. And do check out my blog, AISquared.com slash blog. And I have written an article about my experience at the most recent Visions 2012 conference, kind of summarizing the closing session that I attended. And I'm not Jeremy Curry, but you can actually follow Jeremy uh, through the twitter.com slash gwmicro tweet feed, or go over to gwmicro.com to learn the most information about gwmicro. I myself am Joe Steinkamp, and you can find me at twitter.com slash rangerstation, or my alter ego, ranger1138, at twitter.com slash show and the eolshow.com website. And I am Rodney Edgar, and you can find me over at techaccessweekly.com, and you can also find me on Twitter at Rodney Edgar, R-O-D-N-E-Y-E-D-G-A-R. And that will wrap us up, and we'll see you next time on High Contrast.